You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic, hosted by Dr. Heidi. Dr. Heidi has been exactly where you are right now. She's walked through the fire of toxic relationships and has now dedicated her life to help others do the same. Living in a toxic environment can cause the damaging behaviors of others to become normal, leaving you feeling hopeless and desperate. Learning how to recognize the toxic traits and understand why they occur is the key to taking your power back. Now is the time for you to gain your self-worth because you're worth it. Discover who you really are because you're awesome. And realize it's not normal. It's toxic. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic, Rid Your Life of Toxic People. This is, of course, Dr. Heidi. I'm the only one that ever does the introduction on this podcast, so you're getting used to that. Um, So today, I'm excited. I made it through almost through another week, and that's always a big thing for me. So I'm proud of that. You should be proud of that, too. I have a guest today that I've been trying to track down and get on the schedule for about a year, maybe. Yeah, Um, I think it's been that long. Yes, it's been that long. Uh, Mm -hmm. As soon as I introduce uh, this guest, many of you are going to know exactly who he is, because I think that many of you probably follow him. Um, He does does similar work um, that I do. And we have often talked about getting events together and doing them together, but then you know, the whole face mask thing and the whole you can't travel thing and things were getting canceled. So we just never got around to getting that done yet. Uh, But I'd I'd like to introduce Matthew Pfeiffer. And again, I super respect this guy because he puts himself out there in ways that Dr. Heidi is still a little bit scared to. So he's kind of my mentor on certain things. And you guys will understand why when he gets to talking about how he does his type of work. So Matt, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself because you can do that better than anybody. Welcome to the show. First of all, thank you very much. Um, You know, I have a lot of love and respect for you and your show as well. And um, you, you have always inspired so many other people. I hear so many uh, people I work with talk about um, talk about your podcast and talk about the things that the work that you've done. And so, um, everyone appreciates you as well. So, um, and you've helped me out so many times as well. So I, I, some days I think that you're the mentor and I'm the mentee. I think we're just kind of colleagues that are just kind of helping each other out. So I appreciate you so much, but my name is Matthew Pfeiffer. I'm with mattpfeiffercoaching.com. Um, a lot of people know me from TikTok and Instagram. I create videos and a lot of other content um, that I feel is inspiring to people who are uh, victims of abuse. And I talk about abuse from several different angles. A lot of times, a lot lot of people who do what I do speak about it from a romantic partner standpoint. Um, But when you talk about narcissistic abuse and toxic uh, relationships, uh, they can, they are literally all over the place. The same narcissistic partners that we're talking about in, in romantic settings, guess what? Sometimes they're our boss. Sometimes they might be a pastor. Sometimes they might be a church member. And so we have to, the, when I started this work, 
it was important for me to, uh, to teach people how to recognize actual behavior because just seeing it and just recognizing it within a romantic partner, it, it helps, don't get me wrong, but you have to be able to see it in all aspects of life because what uh, one of the things that I actually, one of the sayings that I took from Dr. Heidi actually is that once you see it, you can't unsee it. And one of the things that she said on my podcast is um, it's, uh, it, I don't remember if you said this or if I said this, where the bat cave, where once you- uh, Oh, the, you said you, that. Yeah, okay. The, you know, once you realize that um, you you said the room that, and once you leave the room, that, that the room stinks. Yeah. Um, I, I remember that analogy. You know, but once you see it, and once you see a problem with one relationship that, that you might have with a narcissistic person or someone who's toxic, um, you start to realize that there's a much bigger issue. And more than likely, you have other people, other uh, family members, other friends, uh, workplace dynamics that, that, uh, that there are other issues as well, because you have been living a life that you want setting boundaries, you want speaking up for yourself. And so we... Uh, we help people recognize the behavior, teach people how to set boundaries with toxic people, how to create physical boundaries if necessary uh, in the proper way. Because the reality of it is, even if you're going through a divorce with someone who's narcissistic, um, there's, it's not the same thing. Healing and recovering from toxic not the same thing as a normal breakup. And so, um, so that's a little bit about what I do. And... I think I know most of this, but I'm not sure. So I'm going to let you tell this too. How did you get into doing this work? I kind of backed into it. Uh, I've experienced it, but I also, um, but th this is part of people. Here's what a lot of people don't know is that um, early, early on when I was working on my bachelor's degree, um, I was, uh, I worked for a company that, um, I was liaison between CPS, family court, the biological parents of a child, and the foster parent. And I was, um, on, on one hand, it ended up being a good thing, but uh, I was drinking water from a fire hydrant mm -hmm. because I had to, I was, I was, I wasn't even, I don't even think I was 23 years old and it required a master's degree I didn't even have my bachelor's degree yet. And uh, I was facilitating meetings between uh, family court, lawyers, law guardians, you know, so a lot of the things that people hear me talking about, um, I, I went through and I had to, because uh, in New York State, at least at the time, the biological parents, when they, when the, when they were physically abusive to the child or, or and we're talking about extreme abuse where they were mm -hmm. taken away um, with CPS and given to foster care, they had 15 months to um, get their things together and to um, to try to earn their child back. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously there's a lot of court proceedings and quite often I was the one that would um, make suggestions and recommendations on what should happen with the children. If they should go back to the home, I would do uh, in-home visits, uh, sometimes alongside with CPS. Um, but I also had to visit the children in the foster care unit. Well, guess what? Sometimes there's abuse that happens in the foster care unit too. So then I would have to make a decision on if they should stay in, in that unit or if they should go to another, uh, another facility. Uh, and so 
uh, and then I learned on the back end all of the laws, right? What is the what is that court is looking for? What are the judges looking for? What's the terminology? And uh, so I did that for a long period of time, had no idea that it was going to help me out with my future at the time, right? But um, did that for a long period of time. Then um, did a lot of other things and, and uh, I stepped away from therapy, from mental health and um, you know, got into sales, marketing for a long period of time, went back, completed my master's and um, the just like anybody else, you accept the very first job that you're accepted out of college because mm -hmm. that's the right thing to do. And so the place that I was doing my internship offered me a job and it was the last place I wanted to work at, but it ended up being one of the best situations for me. Um, but I ended up becoming a, a substance therapist, uh, dealing with people who are struggling with an addiction. Right. Well, guess what? People who are struggling with addiction, there's a lot of uh, parallels between people who are struggling with addiction and people who, who, are, who are struggling with narcissists. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of codependency, a lot of codependency there. Um, and one of the things that really that the main reason why I was hired at this company was because I was um, really gifted when it comes to facilitating groups. And so one of the groups, uh, some of the groups that I, I did, I ran a men's group, I ran an opiate group and a, uh, but the main th one that I want to focus on today was family. And so again, drinking water from fire hose um, because in my one-on-ones, narcissists, and people who are highly toxic, people who wanted no desire of change or anything whatsoever, were court mandated to come see me. So a lot of the times when people see my video, they see me doing skits, different videos, like I saw them doing this in session, trying to gaslight me, trying to lie and manipulate and spin, and they couldn't leave, right? Or if they did, you know, I would notate and again, still dealing with court. Um, but then also dealing with the family unit with the groups i learned a lot about the code the the children the people who were struggling as codependent who were in love with the narcissist who love in love with the person who was struggling with an addiction i watched them as the as the narcissist might love bomb them in the in session trying to convince them that they're making changes when really isn't any changes that are being made so um Long story short, then after having my own experience, gets to a point where all of this information, all of this knowledge, all this background, there's not a job that suits this. I can't go, you know, I, there's not, you know, you can't, um, I mean, I can go be, I can be a regular average, uh, there's nothing wrong with, with being your average therapist um, in a clinic setting, but it might, it doesn't suit my skill set anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, because um, there's so much knowledge that, I, that I've acquired over time through experience and through um, pr through um, the profession, that I was like, you know, I have to I have to step out and do things on my own. Like the in so many words, like this is not my purpose, and the world needs me. You know, and so I stepped out of uh, stepped away from therapy and started to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. And it's it's funny because when when people hear what we do. You kind of get funny reactions. They're like, wait, you do that all, all like full time? That's all you do? Yeah. That's all you talk about? And yeah. I'm I'm with you. You know, once you find your passion, that's pretty it's pretty much mm -hmm. it. 
Um, and yeah. so, yeah, I think that's kind of crazy that our stories parallel like that. So yeah. what, what type of clients do you mostly work with now and how do you work with them? Work with them via Zoom. Um, what's interesting, um, you know, a lot. Of, I was doing Zooms and meeting with people, you know, online long before it was a thing. It's very common now, but when I was when I very first started, it was extremely, extremely taboo. And um, and you know, when I told people I was I wanted to leave the clinic setting and and, and to do this, you know, they were like, "Do what? Are you crazy? You know, this is you know now everybody's doing it." Um, but um, meet with people online. I also have a support group on Facebook called Wounded Healers. Um, and I also do, um, I also do video chat. Um, let me rephrase. People also send me emails and I give them a video response. This is not us working one-on-one. So those are the main ways that I work with people. Um, and, but the type of people I work with um, are people who um, who struggle with codependency, struggle with um, toxic relationships, literally in any setting. It can be a workplace dynamic, it can be a romantic setting, um, but where people are being taken advantage of, where people are being controlled, abused, whether it be physical, financial abuse, uh, because when we're talking about um, narcissistic and toxic behavior, uh, there's typically some elements of control and enmeshment, where a lot of people on the surface, they think that, hey, I'm getting married. Hey, I'm, I'm having children. And on the surface, there's nothing wrong with those things. But, the, but when we're talking about people who are narcissistic, people who are toxic, they use those things to create enmeshment. Instead of it being like this loving milestone that we, that we came to, they, this is now the, what I'm going to use to keep this person trapped. Mm-hmm. And you can, and when you hear the stories of, of people who've been victimized by abuse of any kind, right, you, you start to, you, you hear this story that the minute that I got married, I saw a completely different person. The minute that we moved in together, I saw a completely different person. The minute that I accepted this job, the minute that um, I became a member of this church, I saw a completely different person. Because um, what people begin to learn, what people begin to realize is that abuse does not work without some good times in between. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why, unfortunately, um, that's the reason why you teach your kids don't accept candy from strangers because it's debate, right? Getting married in certain situations is debate. Getting, you know, going on these lavish dates is debate. Um, and so I teach people how to recognize um Right from beginning to end, you know, we I deal with recovery, you know, help people recover from relationships, but I also teach people how to recognize this in the future to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. And you know, you said that about the enmeshment and the the feeling trapped, but mm-hmm. I I use that too. If if it was an easy decision to make and if it was easy to leave this relationship, you would you would have already done it. And yeah. the thing that keeps people stuck is it's not all bad. Mm-hmm. There's good memories that are kind of weaved through in there and the good memories stand out. And so, yeah, so that trying to detach from those is what people hang on to, you know? And that, that, um, that is something I talk about very, uh, um, I talk about often. And that is one of the parallels with people who are struggling with an addiction. Um, that when we talk about toxic and narcissistic um, um, people who are recovering, um, and there, 
it's literally like recovering from an addiction. And that love bomb phase that you go through is the same thing that someone who's struggling with a heroin addiction goes through. People who struggle with a heroin addiction, if you talk to them, sit with them, they'll tell you that the very first time they ever used, it was the most euphoric feeling that they've ever felt in their life. So from that point forward, what they're doing is they call it chasing the very first high. And they're constantly looking, and that's the reason why they use more often or they use more times, more heroin per use. Well, that's what people who are struggling with uh, with a toxic relationship are doing. They're trying to get the relationship back to the love bomb phase, but the narcissist or the toxic person will not allow for it to, mm-hmm. right? And so they continue to devalue and there's this constant battle. I'm trying to get it back to the love bomb phase where I felt this euphoric, this euphoric chemistry. This person is my soulmate. This is the one. You know, I never thought I'd find someone like this, right? Um, but it will never get there, mm-hmm. right? And so that's, re- that's where the trauma bond starts. Yep. And the never get there is so mm-hmm. hard to accept. Mm-hmm. And about the time you accept it, then they throw a little bit attention and, yep. you know, a happy moment your way. And then, you know, you're back to, yeah, thinking it's right. going to get there. So one of the things that I do a lot of work on is uh, teaching people that the good that you saw was really the bad in disguise, mm-hmm. right? Because the healing process is like putting together a puzzle. And when you start to put that puzzle together, right, you start to see the bigger picture and then it starts to make sense. So because I know that just like me, this is what you do. And, and we just talked about it before, um, before we started recording this, but toxic people are, are programmed. Their drive is pretty much after the same thing. So, you know, I spend a lot of time repeating myself and I'm sure you do too, because everybody comes to you at a different stage and at a different level. So you're continually reteaching, you know, the same thing over and over, but there's always certain questions that you notice come up more than others. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the questions that you see, you know, maybe, maybe a question that you see people who, who aren't sure that they're in a toxic place that might mm-hmm. just reach out to you through TikTok or might just arbitrarily send you a, a message. What is the, what is one of the top questions that you get from people? One of the top questions is, um, am I the narcissist? Was it me? Is this my mm-hmm. fault? Anything along those lines? Thinking that, um, thinking that it's them. And um, when the best way I can describe it is that there's a very big difference between being a narcissist and being narcissistically defended. Because what happens is that um, both narcissists and people who are victims of narcissistic abuse, I say they grew up in the same household, uh, that both grew up with a traumatic upbringing um, typically, um, you know, struggle with boundary issues, that sort of thing. And um, but the but the person who um, who is in the relationship with the actual abuser quite often thinks that because yeah, sometimes their their hands got dirty, right? Mm-hmm. They may have re- they may have have um, gone into reactive abuse. They may have done some things. They may have yelled. They may have reacted and and um, you know at what we call survival right? Because they're, they're now in survival mode. Um, and also, but also they react that way because they don't know, and they literally don't know any better, but it also doesn't mean that they're a narcissist, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't mean that they are, um, you know, because they are able to accept responsibility. They are able to make changes. They, they are willing to. And when I tell people who struggle with 
thought that maybe it's me, maybe I'm the one who is uh, causing this person to behave that way. Uh, the, the typical response is that narcissists don't care how their behavior impacts other people. Toxic people don't care how their behavior impacts other people. So the fact that you're even willing to acknowledge it, mm -hmm. right, shows that you are, that, that, it's, that it's not you. Yes, you might have some things that, about you that might need to change, might need to heal, you know, to make sure that your relationships are better in the future. But it doesn't mean that this relationship is your fault, right? That the bad things, that the abuse is, is in your fault. The other thing that I hear a lot is uh, I'm confused. Like I'm so confused about what's happening in this relationship. And uh, I can't, you know, everyone says that this relationship is absolutely amazing. Every, my, everyone uh, I work with, they're envious of our relationship. We have a nice, big, beautiful house. We have children. I don't understand why I'm not happy about this, especially if someone's dealing with the covert narcissist, mm -hmm. where there's not necessarily physical abuse. Um, and so they're questioning. And what I tell people is that, you know, uh, healthy relationships are not confusing. Even when they go sideways, even when they're arguing, nobody's confused about what's happening. Um, when, I, when, when I was working in the clinic setting and I was working with um, couples who, even if there was infidelity, right? No abuse, but just straight up infidelity. Someone cheated, someone stepped out. Nobody was confused. Hmm. Everybody there, there might be someone pissed, you know, someone else might be angry or whatever. Someone might be feeling like their needs aren't met. Nobody in that, nobody was confused. Everybody knew what the issue was, right? And so the, when I start hearing that someone is confused, that lets me know that there's gaslighting. That lets me know that there's manipulation. You know, uh, the other thing is this walking on eggshells feeling, you know, and um, that is that is one of the big, big signs that something's going on because that start that is very telling that you're because you might be confused and emotionally you still might be in love but your body's not confused whatsoever and when i hear that someone's walking feeling like they're walking on eggshells that typically means that uh that there's some there's definitely something mm -hmm. going on mm -hmm. when when you have um people come to you and they they ask like why is it so hard to leave okay usually usually what's under the surface there is fear of fear of some type. It's the fear of the what ifs or fear of their reaction or fear of what people are going to think. How do you talk somebody through understanding that, that, you know, fear is going to be there. If, if you're going to wait for the fear to go away, you're going to be waiting a long time. So how do you talk somebody through that? Okay. I realize it's fear, but I'm going to have to move on anyway. Well, we talk about, we talk about a lot about validating feelings and validating, you know, so we talk about, well, what is it that you're, what do you think will happen if you actually leave? And quite often, you know, the, what they're worried about is, you know, I think they're going to wipe my bank account clean. I think they're going to go after full custody of the kids. You know, I think that they're going to uh, smear me to my friends and, and my family. And we begin to accept that because most of the time they are 100% correct. That's what they're going to try to do. And so um, when we, when there's fear and, and a lot, quite often it's more about educating them, right? Developing an exit strategy and educating them on, you know, because it, if you were going to buy a car and you were worried about if it was going to last, you know, if it was going to have the proper gas mileage, if you're going to survive it, if it was going to last 10 years or whatever the case is, the way to get around that fear is to educate yourself and to know 
what you're actually getting into, what can you actually expect. And so when people begin to educate themselves and when people begin to get in, into groups, into support groups, I know you have a support group as well, um, and talk to other people who have been there and have done that and start to hear stories and start to connect with other people and start to understand that, yes, I can survive. Yes, I can get through this. Yes, it is going to be difficult, mm -hmm. right? That, and you start to hear that, yeah, I not only can I do this, but I need to do this even with anxiety and even with fear present. Right? Because the, at some point in time, they were taught to, um, you know, that, and, and one of the things we talk about is that, that that fear is misplaced fear. Because when we talk about being with a manipulative person, people who manipulate, uh, it comes from three different areas, fear, obligation, and guilt. So they'll say things like, um, you know, if you ever leave, I'm, you know, you're not getting any equity in this house and I'm going to go full custody of the kids is causing fear. Right. I can't believe, you know, you're, uh, you're really going to leave. You're, you're the, supposed to be the man of the house. You're supposed to be the woman of the house, right? Making you feel obligated, mm -hmm. right? I can't believe you would ever treat me like this after all the great things I've done for you, making you feel guilty, mm -hmm. right? And if someone can have, have control over your emotions like that with, with um, what they call the fog method, fear, obligation, and guilt, um, that they, hijack your emotional center we make emotional based decisions and we justify those decisions with logic and reason mm -hmm. so therefore now that they have control over your emotions now they're they are able to keep you there so we, you you have to start practicing what's called radical acceptance and understand that that when you fear something right when you're afraid of it when you're when you feel obligated or if you're feeling guilty Typically, at least in this situation, you need to go into the opposite direction right? when, because we know that feeling is a misplaced feeling. Mm -hmm. It's been conditioned into you from this person who's been manipulative. Mm -hmm. It's a run towards the roar instead of mm -hmm. run away from the roar. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, there's one thing I'm, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot and, and have you answer this. M my listeners know, you know what I've been through. I've, I've been through several types of toxic relationships. But one of the things I do not have is I don't have toxic family members. Mm -hmm. And even though the toxic personality operates very the same, I coach, you know, a lot of people with toxic family members, but for the people who are dealing with say the toxic parent, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a couple pieces of advice for that, because in reality, nobody wants to cut their parent off regardless of how bad it is. You know, we want them proud. We want them in our life. We want, but the effects, um, sometimes even into your fifties and sixties, if your parent has always been like that, how, how would you suggest they go about interacting with that parent? Because obviously they have decided they're not cutting them out completely. Parents are, um, parents and family are different and can be difficult because of the rest of the family. And I tell, I tell people to give yourself to permission to go six months. It doesn't have to be a all, all in or all out, mm -hmm. right? You, you go six months and we, and you, you know, obviously if there's a lot of physical abuse and, you know, they're bringing in a lot of flying monkeys and it's just, um, you know, unlivable, you know, obviously you, you may have to just do no contact, but right. uh, with someone where it's verbal and someone that it, it is, um, emotional abuse and maybe sometimes that they're a little bit tolerable or you can't cut them out of because of other members of your family 
can go six months. You can go six months and you can say like, you know what, they're uh, treating me okay right now, right? And we want to be very present with what's happening. And so maybe we go six months of low contact where maybe we're talking to, to your parent every single day, but we cut it down to, let's say, one time a week, right? Because every single day with someone who's toxic and narcissistic won't work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking to them one day a week and we, we have set boundaries. Maybe we only talk to them for an hour um, and uh, maybe an hour is too much, right? So you're, you're so over this course of the six months, we're evaluating, right? How do I feel during the call? How do I feel after? What's the results of it? Are they gossiping about me? Are, are they creating havoc, too much havoc in my life? Then if, it, if the answer is yes, then you can go lower contact. So maybe instead of an hour, it's, it's 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Maybe you're only talking to them on the holidays. That's another version of lower mm-hmm. contact. Right. And, and then, um, and then finally, like you can also go six months of no contact, but then if you start to see that they're treating you with respect, you can always bump it back up. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go all in all out. You know, I would, uh, I tell people be a thermostat, not a thermometer. Don't allow for them to control your temperature. Mm-hmm. You're the one that controls the temperature with your own thermostat. Oh yeah. I like that. Cause I think sometimes when it's a parent, you always carry that well, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't even be here. And so I feel like, you know, that obligation as their child really comes into play and they don't even, they don't You hit the nail on the head. Notice what word you used, obligation, right? Fear, obligation, and guilt. Yeah. But you have, so with narcissistic parents, one of the things that they do is they do make you feel obligated as if you you owe your life to them and you don't, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes it's just as much as, is giving people permission to take a break. Because mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think that they even realize because of that obligation and guilt, they don't even realize that they have permission to take a break. Right. And so you, you're able to give yourself permission and you and and also give yourself permission to literally live your own life. Your parents had the opportunity to live their own life. Mm-hmm. Your life does not belong to them, right? Them taking care of you, them putting a roof over your head, that was their responsibility. That wasn't that did, that did not entitle them to run your life. Completely different story. And people are narcissistic. People are toxic and romantic partners do this too. I gave you everything. I uh, I paid half the bills. That's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Right? That was the bare minimum. That was you know that and that's not a reason for me to um, to you know you you don't owe your parents anything. You are under no obligation to talk to them to. Uh, to, you know, because what happens with narcissistic parents is that they think that your life belongs to them literally. And mm-hmm. so um, you will live your life trying to live up to their expectations, but their expectations are full of double binds, double standards, right? And the reality of it is, is that you're never, ever, ever going to make them happy mm-hmm. because the minute that you begin to make them happy, you're actually giving their, in their mind, they're giving over power. They don't want to do that. They want to keep control. You want to have control over your romantic relationships, who you're dating, who you're marrying, right? They will have. They want to have say over what is tolerable, what's not tolerable. They will ruin your relationships if they possibly can, mm-hmm. because people who are toxic, people who are narcissistic, don't internally, deep down, don't care about themselves, don't like themselves. And when you have someone like that, they end up sabotaging the world around them. And if you're not careful, they'll do the exact same thing to you. Mm-hmm. 
And I think, you know, too, when you're in it, regardless of what type of relationship that you're in, you feel like you're in a rut, but, but we don't from, from inside the rut, we don't realize that there's an option to get out of it. Instead, we just figure out how to live within the rut, Mm -hmm. you know, and sometimes that's what you and I do. Basically we educate Mm -hmm. enough. So people realize there's options outside of the rut. And um, I know that there's quite a few people in my support group that are dealing with, you know, maybe multiple different types of toxic relationships, yeah. but the, the obligation with the parents is, is always a huge struggle for people. Yeah. It is big. And a lot of times people recognize in, in their parents after dealing with a romantic partner who was narcissistic and toxic. And so um, you, you start to realize and it, and it starts to come full circle. Um, but yeah, it's, it, 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 it I tell, these are all, everything we're talking about here are all forms of self-love when we're talking about setting boundaries and pulling back from people, not allowing for people mm-hmm. to mistreat you. Um, but I, I tell people that it really should be, instead of people saying self-love, it really should be called self-tough love, mm-hmm. right? Because it is difficult. It is not, it is not an easy task and, and it is um, but it is something that once you begin to break away and once you begin to live your own life and you begin to uh, feel very fulfilled, um, you won't go back. It's, it is too hard, right? It's now the, quite the opposite. It's like I feel, people I work with say, like, I feel like an adult now. Like, I, I just can't, I can't go back. You get to a point where you don't even recognize the old you anymore. Yeah. And I think that goes along with the, you know, the learning to love yourself or learning to take care of yourself and prioritize yourself the more education they know, mm-hmm. the more power they have. And then, exactly. then, you know, you, you have experienced toxic relationships too. And now when you look back on them, you're literally just like, it's, it's plain as day, what was going on to you now, but when you were in it, it wasn't quite mm-hmm. so apparent. No. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do have to talk to you about this. Um, those of you who have seen me on TikTok very little, um, this was the guy that challenged me to get on TikTok. So mm-hmm. he, I like to call him the TikTok King. Um, he has a huge following on TikTok and he has a great, do we call it a TikTok channel? Do we call it a channel? What do we, I don't channel know. page, at, you know, yeah. at, I, I'm not good with terminology either. So, but, yeah, me neither. But anyway, I did start doing TikToks and obviously I got some followers and then I had this rotator cuff surgery and I made an excuse that I didn't want to be on there in a sling and I haven't been able to make myself go back. But I do think you should all check out his TikTok, and at the at the end, I'll let him tell you how to find him. But I want to know what your favorite thing about being on TikTok is. Uh, you know, because uh, a lot of people don't know. Uh, I actually didn't find this out till recently, but uh, I struggle with ADHD, and um, but one of the benefits of ADHD is uh, creativity. And um, I, I've always been able to present well. I was in sales for, for a little bit. That was always kind of something I enjoyed doing when I was in school. Um, and um, I like putting, I like putting, I guess you could say poetry into motion, so to speak, like mm-hmm. for people, people to be able to visually relate to it, right? Because if you think about, um, if you think about when we're talking about narcissistic, toxic relationships, abuse in general, so much of it is hidden, unseen. People are doing what they can to cover it up. You know, it's behind closed doors. Even the person who's the victim, they've been, they've been conditioned to hide it. 
right? Mm -hmm. And then here I come literally putting it right in your face. Right? And you and know, when I watch yours too, that's one of my biggest problems. I feel like I'm a creative person, but when mm -hmm. I, when I go through your TikTok, I'm like, how does this guy think of all of this stuff? It takes me 10 minutes to figure out what I'm going to say and what I'm going to do. And then I got to take three recordings of it. Um, but I find that you, you really enjoy doing it. And, and that's, I, I think if anything, that's probably the secret is that I literally enjoy it. And I tell people just enjoy what you're doing. Um, sometimes like I might do something that's kind of kind of funny and then people laugh and they're like, I'm laughing, but I'm crying at the same time because it's yeah. real life. And you, you know, know, the the other thing you have done is our su our subject matter is is not funny. Mm -hmm. No. You know, it is it is heavy. It is, mm -hmm. you know, we have a lot of emotion. A lot of our clients cry on the phone. And so for you to take something so heavy and be able to to translate it into into a version that doesn't have to be heavy and people can still receive it. I think that is fantastic. That's what I admire so much about your TikTok. One, one of my one of my goals, and this is actually the first time that I've ever actually expressed this. One of the things that I've always wanted to do when I decided that I wanted to go into this was I wanted to make abuse mainstream. I didn't want it to be hidden anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted people who never experienced this ever right, may not ever experience this, to see this and say, this is funny, but you know what, my cousin's going through this, you know what, this is what my sister's going through, this is what, you know, this is starting to make sense of why my friend keeps going in and out of this bad relationship, you know what, I can see like, um, you know, yeah, this isn't me, but um, my church is treating people like this, and, and start to recognize that um, because there are people who want to be supportive, but because they don't see it, because they don't deal with this. They don't know because how. They, yeah, they don't know how. They don't, mm -hmm. they don't recognize it. So I feel like it's important for all of us to um, open up, open people's, make other people aware, people who are not victims of abuse, aware of what a big abuse victims actually look like because it, it's it goes so unnoticed and unseen yep i always say toxic relationships don't affect everybody but everybody knows somebody that a toxic relationship yep. is affecting yeah mm -hmm. no um Absolutely. okay so what what do you not like about tiktok um you know what? The smear campaigns on TikTok are absolutely terrible. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about going viral on TikTok, um, you know, it is a blessing and it is a curse all at the same time. You know, so the trolls are absolutely awful. Um, and when we talk about people who are trolls, there's a lot of narcissistic qualities to people who do troll. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, but also there's times where I see people who are talking about an ex who are who are um saying things uh, absolutely horrific things you know claiming as if they're the victim and i'm like this is this mm -hmm. is a smear campaign this is not someone who's on here venting mm -hmm. right this is not someone here who is here for the right reasons right purposes and so there's um you know but that's going to happen anywhere but yeah. when but when we talk about uh, tiktok where videos go viral all the time mm -hmm. uh, you know it's uh you know, it, it, um, the, because it, it potentially can be damaging to people who, uh, who really are there for, mm -hmm. for help that they need. Yeah. And you know, when people are searching your podcast or people are stumbling on your podcast or your website, 
they're already searching for you. So, so they're mm -hmm. already looking and, and a platform like TikTok literally throws you to the wolves, yeah. you know? So, so you're getting mm -hmm. every, everybody that may or may not be seeking your stuff. So I, I yeah. have to admire the fact that you'll stand up out there and just, just do it regardless. Like you, mm -hmm. like you, you know, got a shield up and it's just bouncing off of you. So I, I admire everything that you do on on your TikTok channel. So well, to, to be honest with you, once you once you've been through this, like when you you develop some thick skin because you mm -hmm. have to, you you have to get to a point where you don't care what people uh, think about you, and even if you do, you start to separate. Um, you know, one of the things I talk we talk about boundaries often, but we don't talk about emotional and mental boundaries. Um, and you you develop some emotional boundaries that their feelings are not my feelings. And, and I think too, because you and I have both been through it, we're cut from the same mold as some of the other people that have gone through it. And, mm -hmm. and we get nervous in the beginning if we have people that don't like us. Yeah. And mm -hmm. if, if you and I are going to stand out here and, and say what we say and stand behind what we stand behind, we had to get very used to, there's going to be people out there that absolutely don't like us. And we're going to exactly. get mean notes and we're going to get mean. And, you know, the first few I got kind of had me in a... You know, now my, now I really feel like I'm making a difference. If there's mm -hmm. people out there that are questioning what, you know, what I'm doing exactly. it's, I'm now using it for motivation because right. we're making a difference when that happens. Yeah. And it gets to the point where you don't have a choice. Like you, you literally can't stop, you know, mm -hmm. because yeah. you, it's gotten to a point where too many people are being helped. Too many people are being assisted. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you just have to get to a point where you just develop and I, I just try to stay, I also just try to stay out of the comments as much as I possibly yeah. can. Yeah, for sure. You Oh, you have to. So mm -hmm. how do people find you? Best way to find me, um, you can go to my website, mattpfeiffercoaching.com. Um, I, I, and I'm on all social media platforms, obviously, including TikTok. Um, all of my social media platforms are Matt Pfeiffer Coaching. So YouTube, uh, TikTok, Instagram, uh, Twitter. And, uh, and LinkedIn as well. So, okay. and every single one of them has something very unique to offer. Most of the places are video-based, but um, but I do offer something unique for uh, for all platforms. And I also, you're also able to text me. Now, when, when I say texting, this is more about um, staying in contact with some things that I have like upcoming events or like I have a book coming out um, you are able to text me back, but it is not a guarantee that because uh, I do have a couple thousand people in it at this point. But um, uh, you can text me at 214-239-2713. Can you say that one more time? Yep, 214-239-2713. Okay, and if people get to your website, can they get to everywhere else from the website? Yep. Pretty much. It's everywhere else from, from the website. Um, the only thing that they can't get to, only because I'm kind of re reconstructing, um, I forgot to mention them also on Wizio. Um, so Wizio, uh, so I do one-on-ones, but my Wizio um, video uh, is a little bit different. It's a way for people to save a little bit of money, but also get their questions mm -hmm. asked as well. So you can send an email, people send screenshots of conversations that they're having with their uh, ex if they're 
dealing with co-parenting or, or, you know, they just need something, need um, something toxic translated. Mm-hmm. Um, and people send me voice notes and then I give you a video response personalized to your situation. So that's the only thing that you may not find there. That that okay. you can find in my bio and pretty much okay. any of my bios on Instagram. Okay. Or yeah, and we'll get we'll get as much information as we can in um, the link to this podcast. But yeah. thank you for letting me finally catch up with you. And Absolutely. I'm I'm certain in the future when things get fully back to normal, we'll we'll be seeing more of each other. I have a feeling. Absolutely. Yep. So okay. So that, thank you very much. What? I said we're not that far away from each other. No, we're not actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Well, thank you for being here, and we will we will talk to you soon, Matthew. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with others. Looking for a community that understands? Join our Facebook support group, Strength Within. For more information on all the services Dr. Heidi provides, please visit www.coachingwithdrheidi.com. It's time for you to break free because it's not normal. It's toxic.